The Mets did not finish where a lot of people thought they were going to in 2023. But are they doing some really smart things for 2024 and beyond? Ryan Finkelstein of Locked On Mets is here for a crossover episode of Locked On MLB. You are Locked On MLB. Your daily MLB podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Hello, baseball fans, and thank you to veterans all across this country. And welcome to Locked On MLB, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, where it's your team every day. This is the daily podcast. We talk about all of Major League Baseball. I am your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully. I'm an Emmy-nominated television producer who's been a baseball podcaster for over a decade. I've just finished five full seasons here at the Locked On Podcast Network. Follow us at Locked On MLB Pods on Twitter and on Instagram. And follow us on, uh, you can follow me at Sully Baseball on Twitter or whatever it's called now, Sully Baseball Podcast on Instagram or subscribe to here on YouTube. If you follow us every day, please, please, please post the banner every day, Sully, so I know who is listening to us every single day. And this episode is brought to you by Jace Medical. Empower yourself when you purchase a Jace case, providing you with a personal supply of five antibiotics and at least for 50 or more infections, get yours today at Jace Medical. That's J-A-S-E medical.com. As I mentioned before, this is not a solo episode. No way, no how, no McCoy. We're bringing in the big guns. It must be sweeps weeks because the ratings come in big when Ryan Finkelstein of Locked On Mets is here. How you doing, buddy? Doing great. It's off season, so it's uh, the best time for Mets baseball at this point. I really thought at the beginning of the year you'd be a frequent guest in October as we'd see where the Mets were going. And if you had told me that an 84-win wildcard team was going to stagger into the World Series, I would have thought, oh, man, must be a good time to be a Mets fan. But um, no. Um, uh, look, at there's a bunch of things we're going to cover in today's episode. But I am going to go over well, Before we do that, uh, the trivia question, which was there have been many instances where future Hall of Famers were traded for each other. When was the last time there was a trade where one future Hall of Famer was traded for another future Hall of Famer? And these were people who are currently enshrined in the Hall of Fame. And mind you, these were not Hall of Famers at the end of their career. These were still all-stars in their prime with their best years ahead of them. Ryan Finkel said, do you know what trade that was, the last one that was made? See, I know one that, that could be one day uh, if Gary Sheffield ever got in the Hall of Fame with Gary Sheffield and Mike Piazza. But yeah, and I he, think he should be. I think he should be, but that's that's not the case. That's not the case. I, I do not know. I, I don't have a good guess. It was the, the stunning trade that sent Joe Carter, not a Hall of Famer, and Roberto Alomar, Hall of Famer, in exchange for Tony Fernandez, not a Hall of Famer, and Fred McGriff. So Fred McGriff and Roberto Alomar were in that shocking deal between San Diego and Toronto uh, just after the 1990 season that really shaped the Blue Jays and sort of, you know, pushed them over the top. So uh, the who uh, someone did get that correct, actually. Um, it was uh, who, who, did, who got that one right? Uh, was it Susan Townsend and John Murphy Jr.? I believe it was. Okay, good job. 
getting that trivia question right. I have a Mets-centric trivia question to go at the end of the podcast today. And, Ryan, if you know the answer, don't blurt it out. I'm trying to get <laughs> right. people to uh, – my everyday sullies tend to do that. So, Ryan, um, I, I actually have a lot of positive thoughts about the Mets, uh, which is strange because this was a year where a lot of people thought they were – gonna go far and they didn't but uh i want before i dive before i cannonball into that um let's do the autopsy here um what was your thoughts let's do our final thoughts before we men in black this season out of met fans heads uh by the men in black a film that featured a ufo flying over a mets game uh Bernard Gilkey, I think, was the outfielder whose ball ricochets off his head. Okay, it's either Bernard Gilkey or Ray Langford. Anyway, what were your thoughts of what happened, and at what point did you just say, "Oh boy, this is—it's uh, not going to be this year"? It, you know, there was a, a large portion of the first half of the season where. I kept on trying to talk myself into, okay, well, this is a Mets team that. If they could, you know, the wild card race allows you with the, with the three teams to feel like you always can really get back into it, right? And, and look, if there were only a couple games over 500, as you mentioned, they would have been in it. So it, the first half, I, I knew when Justin Verlander came back and uh, the Mets were playing a series against the Tigers and they got swept, that was the first time when the alarm bells really rung in my head. But it, it wasn't until the disastrous June that I really came to terms with yeah, this this probably isn't going to go anywhere. And, and even then, I don't think it was until they actually traded David Robertson, where I knew for sure that was the direction they're going. I will say that while the season was extremely disappointing, I am so happy that the Mets were one of the few teams that sort of saw the writing on the wall and did something about it because that, that's going to lead into your, your overarching points, right? So so that that's We'll leave it there as far as where the season went, but I, I think that they, they turned this into a positive with how they handled it. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm going to really cannonball into that for a second uh, because I I not only um, think that they are uh, I'm teasing something in our second segment here. Not gotcha. only do I think they did the smart thing, I think they made a philosophically seismic decision that I think will. Uh, I think will pay off in an unbelievable way, but that's my uh, that's my tease for segment two. But I will say, I I do the summer score during the regular season where I keep track of which teams, and we wake up every morning which teams are playoff teams, and I, you know, I I have a scoring system, and uh, on and it starts on Memorial Day because I think you can't look at the standings before Memorial Day. I mean, yeah. it's just it's it's ridiculous. Hey, we're in first place. It's our taxes aren't due yet. Okay, just calm down. You won you you know, you won a series against the Tigers. Calm down. But on Met fans woke up on Memorial Day and they were a playoff team. You know, as recently you know, as late as June 3rd, a Met fan could wake up and say, "How are the Mets?" Well, they're one of the wild card teams. And that's amazing when you think about the, the trade deadline was the end of July, but on July 3rd, on June 3rd, I mean, uh, Met fans woke up and go, oh, well, at least we're going to the playoffs this year, uh, which, again, just shows you what a what a catastrophe June was, not just for the Mets, but also for the Pittsburgh Pirates, who also were a playoff team when they woke up right around then. So, you know, the the it really just unraveled big time after that. And, and it always seemed, 
yes, the you know the injuries were were devastating, but it just seemed like you were watching a dubbed Godzilla film. Something wasn't in sync. Something yeah. didn't quite. You know, like I'm, I would be watching Met games because I like the Mets. I do, and I and I wanted them to succeed, and I kept looking and like going, why isn't this working? You know, you ever see a movie where you like the cast is great and the 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 talent is great and the, all, all the production values are great, and yet it doesn't work. You know, it's just like, yeah, the, the, why isn't this working for me? And that was, you know, you know, watching this Mets team was like watching the last Indiana Jones film. It's like everyone involved in this is talented, maybe a little too old, but something's not working on this. And you, it, it feels very dissatisfying. Was it just, you know, coming off a hundred win season, was it just things weren't clicking? Was it age catching them? What was missing in this year? And the crazy thing is, if you actually look at the offseason moves they made, they all worked. Like Kodai Senga, a brilliant signing. Jose Quintana, he was hurt, so that was a big factor. But when they got him back, he was He was good. terrific. Yeah, he was amazing. So, you know, Brooks Raley, they traded for him. He was good. So the offseason's move worked. It was the the moves from the year prior that, that didn't. Like Starling Marte had a horrible season. Jeff McNeil goes from batting champ to a guy that really struggled. And he kind of yeah. salvaged his numbers in the second half when the games didn't matter. But he had a – like, those were the two guys in the starting lineup. And then the pitching just – you know, David Peterson looked like a up-and-coming starter in 2022, and he was the worst starting pitcher in baseball before he eventually got demoted. He was another guy that in the second half sort of improved the numbers a bit but was so bad in those crucial games at the beginning of the season. And, and Max Scherzer really kind of killed them. I mean – Every time you know he the stats, I think his ERA was just over four. Um, but there was he gave up so many home runs, it just cost them in so many games. There was the suspension for the sticky stuff. There was was which is a whole story for another day. It's not worth even spending time yeah. on it. There was a couple of, of lingering injuries. That rotation just never quite got right, and that it constantly put the bullpen in a bad position. But like you said, it really comes down to sometimes you watch your baseball team. And you're ju- you just know it's not their year. And then that's what it was. It was just a team that could not pull off any serious victories. And you just kept on. And they never, I think they had two five-game winning streaks all year. So they just never put together a good run of baseball. And uh, you just hope it doesn't carry over because it, it, there isn't a, a concrete reason for why it all happened. Well, look, at in the segment two, we're going to talk about some of the things that they did that I think will, it's not only smart, but, potentially brilliant but you're talking about health yeah and speaking about health today's episode is brought to you by jace medical there's a lot of uncertainty in the world today it's important to be prepared supply chain shortages for medications or an inability to get medications in a timely manner due to natural disasters or if you're traveling abroad all these things can leave you unprepared everyone should be empowered to care for themselves and their loved ones during the unexpected and that's why jace medical provides their jace case Five life-saving antibiotics for emergency use. Jace handles everything from online evaluation to licensed pharmacy medication delivery and ongoing consultation and care. Jace was doctor-created and is doctor-recommended. You can now customize your Jace case with dozens of add-on medications. You can even add additional medications based on your unique needs. Go to Jace Medical and enter the code LOCKEDON at checkout for a $20 discount on your order. That's promo code LOCKEDON at Jace Medical, J-A-S-E medical.com 
All right. Uh, at one point, the Mets pulled the ripcord. And they saw it was a seller's market. Now, I have up here, I have the MLB uh, Mets top prospects uh, up to date. The top two prospects they have listed right now on MLB.com slash prospects are Luis, An- Luis Angel Acuna and Drew Gilbert. Two players who were acquired at the trade deadline. They essentially got their two top prospects as listed right now because they said, to heck with it. Let's let's sell. They made there were a ton of high profile uh sexy managers that were available. They went for Mendoza. They let Showalter go, and Showalter will find another place. i I think he's actually gonna go to Milwaukee, but who do I know? But uh they brought in a young manager and they brought in young players, and they are you know, the new management came in. They pushed all the chips to the center of the table. They tried to pull a 2004 Red Sox to say, let's just buy a title. And this is coming from a Red Sox fan. 2004 was bought, and thank you very much. It was on our wish list. But they pushed all the chips to the center of the table. So we got to win right away and get this this proverbial monkey off of our back. And it didn't work. And instead of throwing more money, bad money after good, they said, let's rebuild. Let's build forward. And I think that was not only brilliant for the short term, but I think it's nonsense, this notion that you can't rebuild in New York, because how's that working out for everyone? New York fans won't accept anything less than a championship. Unless your top team is the MLS team, whose name I couldn't tell you for $100,000 right now, I have a feeling not a lot of New Yorkers' top team is their, the MLS team, then it's been over a decade since any team in New York has won a title. And so the Mets, I think, are saying, all right, then let's build one, even if it is from the ground up, and create a team that is filled with players that the fans can embrace and eventually be a championship-caliber team Am I crazy for thinking that? Not at all. And, you know, w- when it all went down, I had an episode, you know, pretty much right after the deadline where I said, you know, Steve Cohen just bought a rebuild. And that that's what they did. And they looked at the situation with Justin Verlander and Max Scherzer. And those guys, like you said, they were bought to win a championship. And mm-hmm. when you have as bad of a first half of the season as the Mets did, you're sitting at the deadline knowing that the chance of you making a run are slim to none you're looking at a window with Max Scherzer of two years and Verlander, you know, maybe three years where one of those potential years to win a world series is out the window. So all that money that they were owed was just dead money for this year. And then you're thinking, okay, we're going to run this same team back. Are we really going to win in 2024? And when you really come to terms with the fact that the likelihood of winning a world series was so slim, they ate a ton of money. All of it was dead money for Mm -hmm. this season. They ate all the contract for, for the Rangers and the Astros, all of it for this season. And then not only did they eat some money to, to get those prospects next year, but they also freed up about $45 million that they can now reinvest in their rotation to still you know have a team. I don't think they're going to go and be as out front as they were this past season or the year before, but what they're going to do is they're going to build a competent roster. And mm-hmm. if their young talent arrives early, which we saw so many teams in baseball this year where young talent did arrive early. Arizona. 
Arizona, <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, Texas to a certain respect. Like there is a lot of team. The Baltimore. I mean, mm-hmm. the Mets have a wave that just debuted, and Francisco Alvarez only had a, a really good season, but there's still Brett Beatty, Mark Vientos, uh, Ronnie Mariso, who you know came up as top prospects and will try to do better in year two. And then they have the guys that they just acquired who they didn't acquire 18 year olds. These are guys who are starring in double A and Acuna and Gilbert. So they might not be up this season, but 2025, you have a core that's that's really forming. So it was really smart what they did. And then to get David Stearns, to me, I am so happy with the outcome of the season to get what they got at the deadline. And then for David Stearns to be the president, I feel so comfortable with where the Mets are as a franchise the farm system at its current state and the guy that's making decisions now that I don't even think that this is a lengthy rebuild. I mean, I think they might not win this year, but 2025, I believe they will be world series contenders again. I I certainly think I, I certainly think there'll be a legitimate playoff team in 2025. Absolutely. And if you look, I mean, again, I've made this point before. I've talked about the rule of seven all the time that if you, you don't start following sports, they run seven years old. The lat- and I'm not going to count the MLS team because any league where the top player would jump ship to another league in a heartbeat is not a major league. I'm sorry. So the most recent New York championship, that includes NBA, WNBA, NHL, the NFL, Major League Baseball. The most recent one was 2012. Okay? 2012, the Giants. All right? And before that, it's the Yankees. And then you got to go way back if you want – it's a devil's title or, you know, if you go, if you're a Met fan, which I believe you are, yeah, uh, it's 86. If you're an Islander fan, if you're, and if you're a Knicks or, or, or jet fan, I, you need a hug. I'm 51 years old and they haven't won in my lifetime, you know? So these are the types of, uh, I guess the Knicks won when I was a baby, but I was too young rule of seven. So if you say something, hey, it's going to take a couple more years. But it won't be, first of all, I think any Met title, any one of those teams winning a title, even a completely bought one would be loved because they're so hungry for a championship. But if it could be a team filled with young players that Met fans can get really attached to, I think that I think that would be, there are so many like bandwagon fans in New York that suddenly the Mets would be the whichever one of those teams. This is the point I'm making. Which any one of those teams, Mets, Jets, Giants, Knicks, Yankees, whatever team it is, the next one to win a title would be the first one for an entire generation. Yeah. The, New York has never seen a drought like that, going back to the days of John McGraw. There's not been a drought like this. An entire generation has been born, raised, and applied to City College and has never seen a parade. So the next one to win will be the one that's beloved. And so the Mets are thinking, why not us? And why not get the guy who made a consistent playoff team in Milwaukee and have him do that here and 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 we'll resign him? And I'll tell you too, watching everything from David Stern so far, every time he speaks to the media, you know, it's amazing to see someone who has his resume, who is absolutely living out his dream job, grew up a Mets fan. They are owned by a Mets fan and now run by a Mets fan. 
who want this as bad as the entire fan base. And you just hope that all of that can, can coincide where this team can't get over that mountaintop. But even just to me to see them consistently be in the mix and to not have a season like the one that Mets fans just had to endure, uh, that that's really where I hope they get to. And the championship uh, will just be, like you said, unbelievable if they can pull that off in the not too distant future. But just give me a, a, a consistent winner at this point. I'd be pretty happy. We're doing a locked on MLB locked on Mets crossover here. Um, Showalter's gone. Everyone in their cow thought it was going to be Council coming over. Instead, Council goes to the Cubbies who I think have a shot of winning faster than the Mets do. I think the Cubs are going to be a contender. Hell, they were a contender this year. They finished barely behind Arizona. But I was stunned that it was not Council coming over there. But Mendoza is – look, at, I don't know enough about him. I've always been preaching the, the, the gospel of hire Bruce Bochy's lieutenants. Take a sip, everyone. Take a shot. I mentioned Bruce Bochy's lieutenants again. So that would have meant to me Hensley Mullins, who was in the Mets organization at one point. But hiring a young manager shows that they're also thinking the long term here as well, that we're going to put together something and and see it see it ride. What do you know about him and what are your thoughts about him as the new skipper? You know, I, I think it's I've said it on my show, like I, I couldn't. For me to sit here and say this is an amazing hire when I didn't know Carlos Mendoza's name two weeks ago is disingenuous. Like I, I can't say oh slam dunk, but what I will say is, you know, while Craig Council was the the ideal fit that everyone was talking about, from my understanding of the situation, the two most important things to Council was setting that bar on, on how much managers are getting paid, and was also staying close to home. So when he gets that Cubs opportunity, he wanted to be there and. If Craig Council had been the manager of the Mets on a – if they had overpaid, let's just say they gave him $50 million instead of the right. Cubs 40, the pressure that that would have put on Council and the team I think would have been horrible, and it would have been a distraction in itself. This is a case where they get a manager who was not only the finalist for the Mets job, he was a finalist for the Padres job. There was multiple teams interviewing Mendoza. seemed like he was going to get one of these opportunities. They said that the Brewers probably would have hired him if the Mets didn't. Everyone who's talking about him at the Yankees organization has said nothing but great things. And I think you're getting someone who did, you know, kind of work up the ranks and has a player development background, which I think is perfect for a team that is going to have a young core position players coming up that really need that guidance. So I think they did a really nice job here. Uh, we're not going to know if he's a good manager until he starts managing games. But I think considering all the circumstances, they got a really nice fit. The fact that he's worked in New York now for a while too, that's always a little bit of a benefit. So I, I think they did well here, and we'll just see how it works out um, coming into this season. If he's just the bridge guy, while this core is, is getting developed, that's not the worst thing either. No, I agree, and I think that he I, – I agree with everything you just said. I think that he is uh, – for a team that's developing, you need a development manager and not and, and someone with their eye towards the future, and I think that's great. Uh, what about the Pete Alonzo being traded rumors? Do you think that's going to happen? I, Sully, I, I have had some, some pretty emotional podcasts about this one. Cause I am very frustrated about the reporting around Pete Alonzo because for one, you just have to think about the Mets plans next year. 
this is not a, a team that is is going into the type of a rebuild where they're not going to try to put a competitive product out there. They're not going into this year trading Pete Alonzo for prospects. And you're also not really going to get what you need in this roster that's going to make you any closer to winning. There's also a chance. I think the Mets are going to let Pete Alonzo play this contract year out probably. And I think that they'd still sign him in free agency. You know, Nimmo came back after being a free agent. David Stearns has flatly, he's all but said they aren't trading Pete Alonzo, but there's a lot of people that want to make a story out of something because he's going to be a free agent after this season. They said they expect him to be the opening day first baseman. I'd be pretty shocked if he wasn't. The one time where Alonzo could get traded is if this season goes as sideways as the last one did. Right. And you're sitting at the deadline and you really don't know if he's going to come back and you can get a haul for him at the deadline. Maybe, but in the off season, I'd be pretty stunned if he got traded. Yeah, I agree. I think that, uh, and I also think you need to have some stability. You need something to sell some season tickets, especially yeah. since you're saying that uh, you know we we don't think they're going to be necessarily winners next year. Well, what do you think if they pull it off? Could they be the team for bandwagon fans to jump upon? I mean, I it, I having you know people can't shut up about 86 and and the, and i think everybody uh including the bat boy have written books about that if we're, i i've texted with my cousin dave who's a rabid met fan uh and i said i want the mets to win a title if for no other reason we don't have to hear about 86 ever again in our life uh man they should have signed ray knight to a 10-year deal um but uh you know, do you think this, what do you think is going to happen? If they, if this team explodes the way I think you and I think they can, and they could be the Brewers with a budget uh, or even the, what, or Atlanta with a budget, you know, what do you, what do you think? Do you think this city's going to be ready to be go Met crazy? Of course. I mean, we saw it even, you know, 2022 when they had that season, you know, when the Mets are good, you know, the fans are going to be there in droves. And, uh, you know, even just the recent plans that have been announced about trying to build up the area around City Field, an $8 billion plan that Steve Cohen has been working tirelessly on to, you know, put a hard rock out there and restaurants and bars and public parks. Like, I, I just think that if I end up having kids one day, they're going to get to grow up being with their experience as a Mets fan being completely different than the one that I had. At least that's my hope, because um, I think that the best days for Mets baseball truly are. Uh, coming with, with Steve Cohen being an owner that you just cannot possibly have any problems with if you're a fan. You, someone who's investing this much in the team and cares this much, that's all you you want from your your owner. And, and I really think that it's it's going to net positive results. Um, it might not be in three to five years like he originally said, but it's going to happen. All right, Ryan, I got uh, tell people where they can listen to your wonderful show. Uh, wherever you get Locked on MLB, you can find Locked on Mets, YouTube, wherever you get your podcast. You can find me on uh, Twitter at Finkelstein Ryan and uh, find the show at uh, Locked on Mets. All right, let's talk our trivia question for today. The Mets have won two World Series titles, 1969 and 1986. And if anyone knows me, and I know I do, you know I have a fascination with the people who get the final, the pitchers who get the final clinching out. What do the pitchers of the who clinched the 1969 World Series and the 1986 World Series have what is the connection between those two pitchers? What is that's that's the way I should have phrased it. What is the connection between the pitcher who clinched the 1969 World Series and the pitcher who clinched the 1986 World Series? It means you may have to know who they are, but they but 
look it up or not. But either way, there is a direct connection between the two of them. Send those answers down here on the comment section YouTube or locked on MLB pods on Twitter and Instagram. I'm your pal, Sully, but Sully Baseball on Twitter, whatever it's called now, Sully Baseball Podcast on Instagram. Talking about how glorious and positive it is to be a Met fan with Ryan Finkelstein of Locked On Mets. This has been a Locked On MLB, Locked On Mets crossover on Veterans Day. Happy Veterans Day, and thank you for your service, all those out there. This has been Locked On MLB. I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully.